Would you be seated? Dr. John Williamson, a Canadian geologist, had been slipping and sliding his way along a rain-soaked road that led through Tanzania's backcountry when suddenly his Land Rover sunk to its axles in the thick sludge. So, pulling out a shovel, he began to dig his four-wheel drive vehicle out of the mud. And as he dug, he uncovered an interesting-looking pink stone, being a geologist and naturally curious about rock formations. He picked it up to examine it. And the more mud he removed, the more excited he became because when the stone was finally clean, Dr. Williamson realized he had found a diamond. And any diamond would have been a surprise. But he had found the now famous giant pink diamond of Tanzania, that once muddy stone sparkles today in the royal scepter of Britain, and Dr. Williamson is world-renowned for his find, (laughs) accidental though it was. Well, it was a quirk of fate that this geologist discovered a treasure in the process of getting his vehicle out of the mud. Well, the book of Acts in chapter 8 tells an even better story of an Egyptian or an Ethiopian official rather who found the greatest gem of all. Jesus once compared the kingdom of heaven to a hidden treasure in a field and he said it's worth selling everything you have to get that treasure, to acquire that gem. And this metaphor became a reality for a man from Ethiopia, a minister of finance in that country. When he discovered life's greatest treasure on a desert road leading from Jerusalem to Gaza, and when he found it, when he found it, his life took a turn for the best. In a single afternoon, in a single afternoon, he moved from confusion to clarity. And here's the story, Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he asked, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So what can we learn from the biblical record about this man whose life took a turn for the best as he traveled back toward his home in Africa on the Geza Road? Well, I think the first thing we notice is that he was a credible man. The text says he was a man of great authority, says he was an important official, Verse 27, he was large and in charge of the treasury of a prominent African nation. He was a leader. He had a position of power and honor and significant responsibility. He was not like that new employee at Target who had just been at work three days, so he was a, he was a low man on the totem pole at the store. He was standing with his broom in hand near the entrance when an irate customer came into the store. This customer was dissatisfied with the purchase that he had made, and he was coming back with a complaint. Young man, he growled, I want to speak to someone with a little authority around here. Well, the new employee looked to his left and right, leaned on his broom and said, well, sir, you might as well talk to me. I got just about as little authority as anyone in the whole store. (laughs) Well, this nobleman in our text had more than a little authority. He served as a direct report to the queen of Ethiopia herself. She had the title of Candace. Candace was not her name. Candace was like Pharaoh. It was a title. She was the Candace. She was the queen mother. She actually ran the country while probably it was her son who was the figurehead, and he did what second-generation royalty typically do, absolutely nothing. I heard the other day, by the way, that... England's royal family is running out of money. You know, they're down to $1.6 million now. But see, that's what happens if nobody in your family has a job for a thousand years. You're bound to get low. I, I did hear that our president recently met with Queen Elizabeth and the royal family at Buckingham Palace. This is all a part of his uh, program to reach out to people in society without any real jobs. Um. I understand that Kate Middleton is about to uh, deliver her second child, you know, and I understand that when uh, she went into labor for her first child, that the rest of the royal family heard about it, and they were like, oh my goodness, and what is labor? Yeah. Okay, enough fun at the expense of the royal family. Back to our Ethiopian official. He's obviously an intelligent man. He's, he's a trustworthy man. You don't 
get to be the secretary of finance if you're not trustworthy. He's respectable. He's influential. And the text also mentions that he was a eunuch. And, and Jesus himself identifies the three types of eunuch, eunuchs in Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. Jesus said, there are eunuchs who were born that way, that is, with a physical defect, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. This was sometimes forced on male slaves who served in the palace. And then Jesus said there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That is, they're living celibate lives. And we don't really know what kind of eunuch this Ethiopian was, but regardless, he was an exceptional man. He was a credible man. He was also a very committed man. We know that he had been in Jerusalem for worship. That's also in verse 27. And we know if he went to Jerusalem to worship that he was Jewish. And be, but because he was a eunuch, you see, he could not be a full Jewish proselyte. He was from Ethiopia. He was a eunuch. He, he could not even be a full Jewish proselyte. So he wouldn't have been allowed in the temple area. He would not have been allowed to be a part of the congregation. He was only permitted to be a God-fearer. He was, he was what was called a proselyte at the gate. Now, that even tells you that he was a proselyte, but he was at the gate. He was kind of arm's length. In other words, this man rode 3,000 miles round trip in a chariot, probably averaging 10 miles an hour, for the privilege of sitting in the atrium. But he's still concerned enough about his spiritual life to travel all the way to Jerusalem and back to Ethiopia to worship God. And look at this. He's maybe 100 miles down the road toward home, and he's got his face buried in the Scripture. See, this man obviously believed in God. But he was seeking more. He was seeking a more intimate relationship. So who's going to find God's treasure today? The answer, the short answer, anyone who is willing to look for it like this man did. But like searching for a buried treasure, you may have to dig out from under a pile of man-invented religions. You may have to dig that treasure out of a lot of false doctrines. You may have to wade through some preconceived ideas. You may have to wade through some handed-down family traditions. But God has promised that all who search for Him can and will find Him. Look at Deuteronomy 4.29. But from there... You will search again for the Lord your God. And if you search for Him with all your heart and soul, you will find Him. Some people are content with religion. They're content with creeds. They're content with rituals, but I'm telling you, the real treasure belongs to those who settle for nothing less than the Lord Himself. How often do people sit in worship services yet have never truly discovered the riches of a deeper personal relationship with God because they were content to merely put in an occasional appearance and then go home and forget about it, or because they never really wanted more? 
or maybe because they never realized that there is more. So the Ethiopian is sitting in his chariot. He's reading from the prophecy of Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, the identical passage that Patrick read for our communion meditation. But the eunuch is not comprehending it. He is not getting it. So he's not only a credible man and a committed man, but let's see it here. He's also a confused man. When Philip drew up alongside his chariot in obedience to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he asked the official if he understood what he was reading. And the official responded, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him and teach him. That's in verse 31. And he was reading about Christ's suffering and death. And so the eunuch said, tell me please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And you're talking here about an absolutely perfect segue for Philip to tell him the good news about Jesus. And the treasurer listened as Philip told him that Jesus' sacrificial death was actually prophesied seven centuries before he was even born. And he told him who Jesus was and how Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross so his sins could be forgiven. And how, because of Jesus, he could be reconciled to God. Now, this is not what that Ethiopian had been taught in Jerusalem, the place of worship from which he had just come. But he learned these truths, and he discovered the good news because he was willing to hear the authoritative Word of God. He was teachable. He tested what he had believed against what he was hearing. So what about us? Do we test whatever we've been taught or whatever we've been told by what is revealed in the Word of God? Do we test what is being broadcast, what is being written today? Do we test it by Scripture? Or do we simply accept what some teacher, some professor, some author, some parent, some friend tells us is true? This summer, we're going to have a series of four or five messages on the uniqueness and the truthfulness of the Bible. Because all of our core values, friends, and all of our deeply held convictions have got to be tested by the Word of God. In His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them, that is, those who believe in Me, those who believe in Jesus. Sanctify them by the truth. Jesus said, Your Word is truth. You see, without the Bible, listen, without the Bible, there is no true north. And we're left to resolve vital issues on the basis of human reasoning alone, abortion, euthanasia, adultery, homosexuality, marriage, parenting, business ethics, caring for the sick and infirm, managing our money, all these questions and so many more are resolved in one of two ways. They're resolved either by human wisdom or they are resolved by the Creator God to whom we are ultimately accountable. Well, just as Philip's conversation with the Ethiopian, our mindset and our beliefs have got to be tested in the light of Scripture. Our perspectives and our opinions have got to be tethered to God's Word or else we're going to go flying off in some postmodern, relativistic, secular way of thinking. Listen, the Bible will stand up to scrutiny. 
God's truth never suffers from honest investigation. But keep this in mind, too. The Bible is a book that, for the most part, can only be fully understood by those who have surrendered to Christ and have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes, This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. The man or the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. you got to begin at the beginning. You begin by surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You make Him your Savior and Lord. You receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit, and then a whole new world opens up to you. I'm never surprised that people who are alien from Christ read the Bible and, and get really strange ideas, or, or they just turn it off because they can't understand it. You've got to surrender to Jesus. You've got to have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then this whole new world opens up. So why then does there seem to be confusion and division in the church? Isn't that the natural question that follows? Well, in my opinion, many of the differences between professed Christians are inconsequential but they have been debated into consequence. Listen, if we believe in the Lordship of Jesus, we do believe in His deity, His divinity, if we believe in the authority of the Bible as the Word of God, the authoritativeness of Scripture, if we are committed to the unity of believers, if we are committed to the evangelization of the world, making disciples of all nations, then we can be together in spirit more on this another time. Back to our Ethiopian brother. He's a credible man. We said that. He's a, criti he's a committed man. We said that. He's also a confused man. But I want you to see this. He was a candid man. That is, he was receptive. He was not closed. He was open. He was teachable. And that's why he invited Philip to sit with him in the chariot. He was humble enough to ask good questions. He didn't act like he had all the answers. He was not passive, and he was not passive-aggressive. He was willing to admit that he needed additional insight. He was secure enough to trust Philip's good intentions. And the turning point in the conversation between Philip and the Ethiopian is when it says in the passage, chapter 8, verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip was a great ambassador for Christ, but it's Jesus who is ultimately the one who caused the eunuch's life to take a turn for the best. Jesus is the one who moved him from confusion to clarity. Now, as a student of Judaism, this Ethiopian knew about sacrificial lambs 
He knew about the sacrificial lamb slain by Abraham and offered on the altar in place of his son Isaac. And he knew about the sacrificial lambs that were slain in Egypt so the blood could be applied to the doorpost and Israel would be released from bondage. And he knew about the sacrificial lambs routinely slain in the temple during Passover as a reminder that the death of a lamb was required to atone for sins. And he had just come from Jerusalem. He knew about the death of Jesus on the cross. He had heard the claims of some of the 500 eyewitnesses who had seen him alive again. And this, is, this Ethiopian is an intelligent man. He connects the dots in history. He believed the eyewitness testimony of people who had no reason in the world to lie. And he concluded it was true that Jesus was God. And it was Billy Graham who once said, if Jesus is who he said he was, and he said, I and my Father are one, if Jesus is who he said he was, the most important thing in the universe is getting to know him. And we don't know all the details of the conversation between Philip and the Ethiopian because we don't have a verbatim of their conversation as they sat in the chariot. But Philip must have shared with him what his next steps should be to receive the grace of God to express his faith in Jesus. And undoubtedly, it was the very same thing that Peter told the multitude in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. Remember last week? Repent and be baptized. Now, how do we know that? Well, because of what's recorded in verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? You can, Philip answered, if you believe with all your heart. You see, as treasurer for the queen, this man worked with numbers. He's a black and white guy. He's got the equivalent of a Ph.D. in math. He understood absolutes. He was good at adding things up. He was good at calculating. He was good at figuring things out. He was good at coming up with the right answers. And although his Jewish religion had been good, and he had been comfortable with it, and although he knew its customs and he understood its theology, and even though it had taught him high morals and had probably benefited his life for many years, it was not the way. And he saw that. He saw that the whole purpose of Judaism was to bring him and the whole world to its only Savior, Jesus Christ. And I wonder, I wonder what must have gone through his mind. I think he's probably thinking to himself, I'm going to have to change my religion. I'm going to have to go against my family. I may offend some of my friends. I'm going to have to start over. I'm going to have to admit that my faith has been incomplete. Nonetheless, he humbly desired God more than the approval of people, and he was willing to do what some are unwilling to do, to leave everything else behind to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, to be on mission with Jesus. And Philip evidently said something about baptism in their discussion because the eunuch interrupted their traveling Bible class to point out that they were passing a suitable place for him to be baptized. Now, it sounds a little bit like an understatement to me when he says, look, 
Here's water. Why can't I be baptized? Let me put up a map here and just show you what was going on. Remember, he originated in Jerusalem. One of two possibilities. He's going back down here to Africa, to Ethiopia. Okay? So he was going to have to go west and south, or he was going to have to go south and west. Now, we're not sure whether it was this road to Gaza or this road to Gaza. But when he said, see, here's water, why shouldn't I be baptized? I I think there's a good possibility that he either had the Dead Sea on his left or the Mediterranean Sea on his right. And he had the water of one of these two seas lapping at the wheels of the chariot. So, both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Philip baptized him. The Ethiopian had seized the moment. Now, some people would read this and say, well, he looks to me like he's acting pretty impulsively. After all, he just learned who Jesus was a few minutes ago. Did he act impulsively? I submit to you, he did not. He acted decisively. He acted responsibly. He did what he knew was right immediately when he was convicted about it. You see, too many people want to think it over. They want to think it over and put it off, and so often then they lose any sense of urgency. I could tell you right now about a couple in our church just a few years ago. I had taught them the gospel, sat down, taught them the very same things, very same kinds of things that Philip taught the Ethiopian. They could have seized the moment. They didn't. Now, they had two children, and both of their children committed their lives to Christ, and they were baptized right over there. But mom and dad decided they would wait. It's been about three years ago. They've moved away. But I'm sad to tell you that within the last couple of weeks, I learned that they're going through a painful divorce this couple. I think it might have been different. I think their life together could have taken a turn for the best. I think their family could have had a better story. Baptism in the book of Acts always marked a turning point in a person's life. It was the point at which they left their old life behind and began their new life with God. Now, when this treasurer saw water, he didn't hesitate, he didn't procrastinate, he wanted to demonstrate his devotion to Jesus immediately. In fact, not one person who experienced a better story in the book of Acts ate, drank, or slept before being baptized once he or she discovered God's treasure. Well, last week in Acts chapter 2, we saw 3,000 people. A multitude, 3,000, take a turn for the best. And those new Christ followers in Jerusalem experienced a better story. Two words we pulled out of chapter 2 last week were joy and gladness. Joy and gladness. You see, they surrendered to Jesus Christ. They made him Savior and Lord. And they moved, remember last week, from guilt to grace. Well, the last view we get of this Ethiopian in our text in Acts 8, he's got this Big smile on his face. You remember verse 39? I read it a few moments ago. He went on his way rejoicing. So I wonder if this might be you today. I wonder if you might be ready for a better story. You want to see your life take a turn for the best. 
Is this a day for you to finally move out of confusion and into clarity by making the same decision as the Ethiopian official? Our section hosts and our pastors are ready to meet with you and ready to talk with you today. All you have to do is remain seated here in the worship center. If you have a prayer need, if you have a decision that you'd like to discuss, we are anxious to talk to you. After we close the service, just remain here and we will come to you. Will you stand with me for prayer? Father, thank you. Thank you for a better story for the Ethiopian nobleman. Thank you, Father, that you, through the word, pull back the veil and let us see this positive response to the living presence of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit called Philip away from a successful evangelistic outreach in another city just to answer the prayer of this Ethiopian who was seeking with all of his heart and soul to know you. Lord, above all other priorities in our lives, may we be on this quest. I pray for every one of us to leave this place today with joy in our hearts. We pray for those who have to make some decision in order to have that joy that comes from down deep inside, the joy that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would have your way in these moments as we worship in Jesus' name. Amen.